Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. Hello and welcome to the winter 2024 edition of Talos IR on Air. Today, we'll be recapping the findings and takeaways from Talos incident response and threat intelligence engagements that took place during the fourth quarter of 2023. I'm Craig Jackson, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Fergana, as well as Mihail and James, who are members of our incident response and threat intelligence teams. We've got a lot to cover today at a very short period of time. So James, I'm going to turn it over to you first to tell us a little bit about what the quarterly threat trends report is, how it's organized, and some of the uh, essential or key findings that we have from this particular report. Sure. Thanks, Craig. So um, our upcoming quarterly threat report is a comprehensive analysis designed to provide a panoramic view of the current cybersecurity landscape based on our internal incident response data. The report synthesizes a wealth of data that we collect and also our own Talus insights in an accessible format that highlights key trends, vulnerabilities, and threat patterns. Um, We present this information in a a really clear and easy to understand manner to empower organizations to better protect themselves. So for starters, ransomware, once again, was one of our top recorded threats across the quarter. Um, This included incidents of play, Cactus, Black Suit, formerly Royal, which is a rebrand, and No Escape, which was our first incident of this new uh, ransomware group. Um, However, we also saw a myriad of other post-compromise activity, which included um, exploitation of critical and high vulnerabilities. For methods of initial access, it was a toss-up between access mechanisms of compromised credentials, valid accounts, and exploitation of public-facing applications. Now, these three are generally the top um, three access mechanisms that are most targeted kind of across the board uh, each year. Um, Continuing the trend across 2023, MFA, whether that be poor implementation, lack of application, or specific targeting techniques such as MFA fatigue, registered as the top security weakness of the quarter. For verticals targeted, Um, In this Q4, um, our research indicated that telecommunications drops from the top spot as the most targeted vertical um, as campaigns against education and the manufacturing industry increased. This is all really great data. Thank you, you, James. Looking at it, uh, one thing stands out for me, and this is education. I think for most of our viewers, it's not particularly surprising that Manufacturing is one of the most targeted vectors. It, it is a logical uh, target, but why education? And under education, we understand schools, we understand universities, research centers, so it's quite a broad term. Um, maybe to give you some insights, we have been uh, seeing a lot of attacks against educational institutions for the past two years. So back in 2022, when Tao started producing the year in review report, education was the number one sector that was attacked. This shifted a bit in 2023, as we can see, and last year, another sector, health, uh, healthcare, was the most targeted sector, but education was in this top five and it remained heavily um, in focus of attackers. So 
open it up and maybe Michal, uh, you can share with us because I know you have been um, active on a number of incident response engagements with educational institutions. What are some of the challenges that this type of institutions actually face and what are some of your observations working with this type of incident? Thank you, Gorgana. Uh, it's true. We have seen in the recent past that there is an increase of attacks. And specifically, it's within countries that are actively supporting the Ukrainian front, which to me and to us, links that, uh, that uh, geopolitics and cybersecurity go hand in hand. Another factor is um, maturity. Unfortunately, educational institutions are not very famous for their maturity in security. That probably has to do with budget, which again, unfortunately, it's uh, one of the things that the education is known for. The security budget has never been very high. And also, uh, because as uh, we have already mentioned, uh, education has been pretty famous in, uh, with it for, for attackers for the past two years, there was no precedent and there was no pressure for institutions to keep investing further. Another thing that we uh, that I have uh, detected working with uh, such institution is actually capacity. Unfortunately, their teams are not very big in terms of uh, uh, people and specialists. And if you have quite a big um, incident, unfortunately, it can be quite easy for them to be overwhelmed. So the, the lack of security budget and executive buy-in is huge in these organizations. Um, typically, security departments and operational kind of just IT departments in general have um, run on, on skeleton crews and they have these vast campuses with very, very large networks, both um, guest public networks as well as kind of the, the more typical corporate networks they have to protect. Um, and the budgets for these things are very, very small. Um, and I know from firsthand experience, even just setting up MFA on... Um, on faculty and staff devices uh, is is a substantial cost for these organizations. Um, and, and they're seen as a cost center and are always the first to kind of go when uh, the purse gets tightened. Also, uh, a recent DDW investigation deep in dark web um, that I was on based on an education compromise kind of really highlighted the fact that these student credentials and these um, service accounts are heavily targeted um, where they're offered as login details, password, and session cookies for users. Now, this is really, really important because um, university portal credentials are linked to uh, user information that's protected by FERPA, uh, which is the data privacy um, kind of overview board for education. Um, and that is linked to transcript, course information, um, and as well as other PII. And these accounts are typically offered as lifetime EDU accounts for users. And if they're staying active and not having their credentials reset, because I don't know how many of you um, will still want to access your old uh, university email, but I haven't accessed mine since I left. Um, and those credentials definitely haven't changed. Um, though it's, it's a prime target for, for threat actors. And if we even take ransomware out of the equation, so let's not even talk about necessarily ransomware or or some of the more prominent attacks or adversary methods that we see, uh, back targeting back to some of my risk assessment and GRC days, 
we had security teams at, at higher education, even K through 12 institutions saying, you know, we have tons of workstations and servers, assets that maybe are not as protected as some other similar, you know, peer organizations. And we're seeing bot herders also taking advantage of these weaknesses, because when you have that that proliferation of systems that are available to bot herders to build into a botnet and and, and utilize to their gain, uh, you know that's another potential uh, issue that we're seeing with adversaries targeting these types of uh, institutions in this particular vertical. Yeah, I mean for sure. For, from my experience, to get a um, identity and access management provider with MFA and um, endpoint detection and response software, it was close to a million dollars a year. And this was a kind of a, a smaller organization. Um, and with that operating cost, uh, it's very difficult to, to kind of secure that budget. Absolutely. Um, I'll add just one thing a bit on the lighter side. I read an, an interesting statement, um, which was that, um, Gen AI, generative AI, is going to pose a particular uh, problem for educational institutions because, as we know, adversaries are also making use of it, especially when it comes to phishing emails. And in university setting especially, there is a lot of communication which is less formal. With um, You often receive emails from people that you previously have not communicated with. So this makes uh, them especially vulnerable to phishing attacks, uh, which would later on, um, yeah, will be harder to detect because exactly because of the lack of security controls. So this is one thing that we can take a look uh, in the future incidents that we see. For sure. And um, so we would see in, in my previous experience, we would see a huge <clears throat> surge and a huge hit rate of um, compromised individuals uh, receiving these phishing emails and then being successfully phished as the um, the school year or the semester started up because you're right, Gagana. Um, a lot of communication is is done via email with your new professors, with your your faculty, um, and these students aren't super clued up as to who they should and shouldn't be communicating with and what channels to do so. And actually, if we were to take a look at the quarter statistics, because we, we do not only the yearly review, but also we look at the data quarter by quarter, it's actually in those um, later months of the year. So Q3, Q4, the months of September, October, when you go back to school, you go back to university, that we see actually a surge in the attacks uh, against educational institutions. It makes absolute sense. Adversaries are also opportunistic. They use what's going on in, in normal life, the current events, the news in order to trick us into uh, opening the door for them. So one of the other findings that we had noted from the the quarterly threat trends report revolved around SEC notifications by ransomware groups. And this this event got a pretty significant amount of of airplay, I guess, on the on the main news streams, the security news streams, but I wanted to bring this up for conversation, not only because it presents some interesting challenges for some of the new SEC regulations, for organizations that are subject to those regulations. And I know that uh, Gargano is going to talk about some new European Union regulations that are coming out that are very similar. So um, I'll open this up to the team. We have an organization, a ransomware group that has provided notification of a breach 
to the SEC. Where does that take us next? What are we going to see? How is that going to impact us in the security industry? Um, so I believe the SEC requires uh, four days for organizations to disclose um, a ransomware attack. But it kind of appears to be an escalation of extortion tactics, um, which seems to be a natural progression of kind of like the ebb and flow of like the power dynamics between uh, threat actors and those victims. Um, as groups kind of look to grapple with any leverage possible that they can kind of get their hands on to achieve their financial goals. Um, and this non-compliance by victims um, has resulted in these threat actors attempting novel methods to kind of coerce and extort them. So if if they can kind of leverage kind of, uh, an outside body to put pressure on these organizations, then they're, they're going to do so. So I, I believe this trend will probably continue um, uh, over 2024. How Secondus, and since uh, Craig hinted about it, I'll give a bit of uh, an overview of what we expect to see in, in the European Union. There is a major new cybersecurity legislation, which is scheduled to become effective next year in January 2025. It's called NIST2, and we will need a lot of new requirements of cybersecurity for sectors which we previously would not consider critical. To give you an example, your postal service or waste management or food production, research centers. Those are all types of institutions that we did not previously have covered in the critical infrastructure. So um, this tool will have even stricter disclosure requirements. It's within 72 hours that um, organizations that have been breached would need to provide first instant reports, which I think is a very aggressive time. Mihail, any thoughts on that? Yes, uh, actually about the aggressive timeline. Um, it might be strict, but on the other side, on the other hand, we have to ask ourselves, do we have time? Maybe we have, in this case, we have to force change given what we're seeing out in the, the, the wild. And uh, we know that generally speaking, Organizations are slowly uh, changing and adapting, but this might not be enough, and you might have to push them a bit. Yeah, we also have to kind of understand as well, um, disclosures such as this kind of uh, severely erode the trust of consumers in organizations. So it's kind of forcing their hand, um, especially in, in the EU, with such a, a, a swift reporting requirement. And just to add that it is a EU regulation, but it will be applicable to non-EU organizations which offer their services in the EU. So I'm sorry, guys, uh, there will be some compliance also on the other side of the ocean required. So it, it's interesting that James mentions that erosion of confidence because public perception plays a lot into this as well. You know, these regulations are designed to protect the public, you know, protect public interests, as well as the institutions that are uh, required to comply with the regulations. How does, how does a government body or a regulatory organization receiving notification from a criminal group like a ransomware gang, how, how does that play? Like, where's the public perception of, or what would be the public perception of that type of interaction? It's a bit like Robin Hood, isn't it? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, 
but they don't have your best interests at heart. That's that's the thing. They're looking th so these these ransomware groups uh, are looking to extort the consumer as much as they are the business. Um, and there still is no guarantee that they will abide by their negotiation of returning and decrypting the data. They could just as easily put it on Russian market, for example, all these credentials and sell them for $10 a pop. That was an awesome discussion and time flies by when you have fun, guys. So we are at the end of our episode. I would really like to thank James and Mihail for joining us today. It was great to have a chat with you. And also special thanks to the Taos Threat Intelligence team for putting together this report. It's a great benefit to defenders and to the whole InfoSec community. You uh, can find all the details about the quarterly report on our blog, blog.taosintelligence.com. And we'll see each other again in April, mid-April, to review the quarterly trends from Q1 2024. Until then, stay connected, stay safe. Thank you.